Welcome to my podcast, In the Know. My series of interviews with amazing people doing amazing things as I travel around the world of no-tell. This time on In the Know, I've got David Klein, who runs Common Bond. He and I chatted about how he got to where he is. McKinsey, a career at American Express, and then the fateful decision to start his company. Okay, so you uh, were at McKinsey and you're absorbing these ideas and you're like thinking 80-20 and you're thinking always be ready and it's PowerPoints and pages. And then as you traveled into Amex land, uh, your thought, you're sort of transposing this notion into, well, you got to be ready to deal with the person you're working with or your colleagues. It may not be a PowerPoint, you know, which is the sort of basic currency of McKinsey land. But then after this very like pretty corporate experience, you start Common Bond? So after American Express, I ended up going to business school and uh, ended up going to, to Warden at, at UPenn. And it was ironic that because I went back to school and had to pay my way 100% with student loans that I stumbled upon the personal pain of needing to get student loans to pay for school. And it was that experience, it was that personal pain um, that led me to start Common Bond. I had now at this point a background in finance. I worked in consumer finance at American Express. I advised mostly financial services clients at McKinsey. Um, so that was kind of up my alley professionally. And thirdly, I happened to come from a family of entrepreneurs. I always knew from the time I was a little kid that I wanted to start a company. I just decided after graduating undergrad that I would put myself in corporate America for about 10 years, learn a lot about business building from some of the brightest and, and then ultimately use that um, as, as a platform um, and, and that knowledge um, as a base to, to launch a company uh, at, at scale. And I'm so guessing, exactly though, this is not your first time telling the story of your preparedness to start the company at the time you did. This, is, this sounds like a central casting uh, storyline, <laughs> right? Family of entrepreneurs, passion for yeah. the problem. I saw it firsthand. I worked in finance. I worked in solving hard problems. I was at, at Wharton, I was ready, and what, you wrote like the business plan for a class or something? That'd be, exactly. that'd be the cherry yeah. on top the, of this. Oh, and you did. <laughs> yeah, the, the plot continues. <laughs> <laughs> Let me press you yeah. on, on, the, on the beautifully assembled story, because I think that often for folks who want to go out and try something new, and they admire folks that have done all this stuff, and they hear these kind of like really nicely put together narratives, they think, oh man, that can't be me, you know, like, I'm not at the fancy business school, or I'm not from the family of entrepreneurs, or like, there's some, there's going to be some difficulty for me to transpose myself from, from where I am to, to that kind of uh, sun-kissed kind of sunset story. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't that perfect, right? I mean, you actually spent quite a bit of time in, in corporates. To spend 10 years between undergrad and business school actually is a bit longer than your average colleagues at, at Wharton would have been, right? And six or eight mm -hmm. years at Amex must have been like a soul-crushing corporate tour of duty. Like you <laughs> left for a reason, right? Like who wants to work at a Fortune 500 for that long? I mean, especially like a quote-unquote real entrepreneur. I mean, am I right? I'm, I'm not asking you to cast aspersions on your yeah, institutions, no, but there are some bits. Yeah, there, there's so many places to go with your, with your comment there. No, no doubt that um, in retrospect, I can now see the puzzle pieces coming together. And in retrospect, um, the stars, many stars aligned. But in the moment, uh, to your point, it doesn't feel like that. And I would say entrepreneurship in general does not at any point feel like the stars are always aligning. Um, to the opposite, it, 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 to the contrary, it feels like the world is against you at all times. You know, the, the, the amount of resistance that you face 
in trying to get something off the ground um, is really massive. Uh, I, I actually don't think the human brain is naturally wired to deal with it or handle it in in any normal capacity. Um, you know, you you got to. I feel like you know, I met many entrepreneurs along the way. Like, I almost think you need something a little off in the wiring um, to to be to be an entrepreneur. It, it requires you to um, face certain things that we're not. We, we, we don't like facing or we're not necessarily built to face. All of that said, all of that said, um, I did spend 10 years or so in corporate America. Now, I told myself I wanted to spend 10 years in corporate America because I thought if I did that, I would pick up a lot of learnings, right? I would learn what it was like to run businesses across multiple sectors. I would learn what it was like to work with really bright folks. Um, I would learn what uh, it was like to, to solve problems in many different contexts. And one day I might be able to use that in the context of, of starting my own company. Um, you know, I, if, if, if you would ask me five years into my corporate experience, hey, David, if I told you that in five years um, you're going to go to business school, you're going to start a company from business school, and five years after that uh, it will have reached a level of scale, you know, insert metric here, um, I wouldn't have believed you. Um, but for me, and I feel like this is the case with many entrepreneurs, when the time is right, the time is right. And for me, that happened to be when I was 31 years old in business school. For others, it's when they're 18 and haven't gone to college yet. For others, still, it's in their 40s. And if you look at Ernst Young's uh, statistics on entrepreneurship, I believe it's EY, um, you know, it'll show you that most entrepreneurs in this country are in their 40s. Um, mm. which is very, which is very different than the, the, a lot of the sensational stuff you tend to read in the, in the, in the headlines, which have to do with teenagers and folks in their, in their twenties. So, you know, there, there's, there's no one right time for anyone to start a company. Um, but there is the right time for every individual. It's just going to be different. Interesting. The experience you had though, it does differ from the, the central casting, you know, like the HBO Silicon Valley show kind of narrative in, in a bunch of ways. And I think you correctly point out there's a lot of different ways that people do it and at different stages and all that. Um, and uh, it's it's crazy that it gets so terribly reduced. There are some mechanics, though, that I think are interesting to inspect. For example, <clears throat> in uh, large company land, you learn a lot of behaviors. Whereas somebody that's mm -hmm. just the first few years out of college or something hasn't accumulated an armor of patterns and behaviors. Um, mm -hmm. So maybe that's one thing, right? Like you've been at Amex for a mm -hmm. bunch of years. The McKinsey, like there's so many McKinsey alumni that go on and do start companies. They haven't learned a lot of behaviors in a short tenure of two or three years, but you get mm -hmm. off into um, a, like a, a longer tour of duty, either there or, or a large institution. And then you show up and, you know, it's just you. There's no one believes you. Everyone says no to everything. Something that seemed mm -hmm. like a small amount of money to you in your old job, like a million dollars, starts seeming like an impossible amount of money in your new mm -hmm. job of trying to like raise some mm -hmm. angel financing. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you, you sort of assume someone was going to empty the trash. It turns out it's going to be you that empties the trash and finds right. the in the PowerPoint. <laughs> I mean, it's a huge change in your life. And on the first day, I mean, I guess you had a little bit the protective umbrella of being um, still in, still, still at, still at, at, uh, at business school at Wharton, uh, where you had a little time to kind of fiddle with it before you came out of the gate. But when you came out of the gate, were you in business on the day of graduation? Like you were op, like you had something to do, or were you still at zero? So we, so I ended up dropping out, out of my, after my first year. 
um, just because there there was enough momentum I felt uh, for me to have done that. Now we had not raised a dollar of outside financing. Um, we had not officially launched our product, but we did have a beta site that captured interest. We did have a story or two that covered us. Um, we, uh, you know, we had what felt like momentum enough so that had I gone back to school for my second year of business school, I believe that momentum would have died and we never would have gotten uh, the, the start, the kickstart we needed uh, to get to where we are. So I ended up leaving school after, after my, my first year and within six weeks of making that decision, six to eight weeks of making that decision, uh, we ended up getting our first term sheet for outside capital. And wow. that first term sheet for outside capital um, allowed us to launch a pilot uh, 45 days after that. And after the pilot, um, we were able to go knock on doors and nine months later, raise a hundred million plus dollars to launch this thing nationally. Now, even that sounds like a potentially sun-kissed story. But what I didn't tell you in that is that I was homeless. I was sleeping on my friend's couches for four straight months, living out of a tiny little suitcase uh, and, had a, and, had, and had a rule that said I wasn't going to put anybody out for more than three days. So I was constantly going around to my friends in New York and Philadelphia at the time where we ultimately did the pilot um, for that period of time. And I was living on $15 a day. And I realized no that if you buy, yeah, if you buy one avocado, um, uh, and, you can make three meals out know, of it? <laughs> pretty much. An avocado is very filling. It's very healthy, right? My, my three ahas on living on $15 a day were, one, avocados, very healthy, very filling, relatively cheap. You can get them for like 99 cents per, um, $1.99 if you're getting it really expensive. Um, number two, I realized that Shake Shack, if you order extra lettuce, extra onion, extra tomato, you're getting more vegetables, uh, and they don't charge you for that. Um, and you can get a burger, at least at the time, for under $5 with extra vegetables. And I learned so long as you had peanut butter with you wherever you were, if you were particularly hungry, you just get peanut butter and a little bit of salt, and it would sustain you for a bit longer. My Lord. My Lord. So from uh, master of the universe, as sometimes the McKinsey people are described, and then powerful executive at a Fortune 500 at Amex, uh, in, in, in the space of 15 months, you're, uh, you're eating peanut butter on a park bench in meetings? <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, so I guess it didn't spoil and, you. I mean, because the origin of my question here was like, after years of service in these big institutions, you, you would have had to change. I guess you didn't change that much because you were crazy enough to drop out of Wharton with nothing but a homepage. I mean, <laughs> there, there might have been some exciting traction or whatever. But if uh, I'm sure even now, when you look back on it, you, you realize how far you were from where you are now. Absolutely. And, and the truth of the matter is, the, the reason I did all that, and by the way, it never felt like I was doing anything out of the ordinary or different or better put, you know, um, inauthentic or, or not me or, or the thing that I shouldn't be doing. I, I never once thought any of that. Um, it goes a little to the question you're, you're asking before and the answer around you're ready when you know you're ready. You know, you're kind of ready when you're ready. And for me, um, it just took me until I was in my early 30s. Um, to realize that I wanted to start a company so badly and I was so passionate about this particular idea, which was to lower the cost of higher education in the, in the U.S., that 
um, I was ready, willing, and able to go broke uh, to make it happen. And it felt natural. And that's in part why and how I knew this is what I was meant to do. In fact, it was the first time in my life um, that I could relate to this notion of having a calling. Before that, I never really could relate when people would talk about, I have a calling to go into X or I have a calling to go into Y. But when I was 31, 32, I finally understood because I was ready, willing, and able to, to give up a lot to pursue this idea that may never turn into anything. Most workspaces today are vying for millennial attention by creating unlimited beer and ping pong tables. Those are all great things to do. Maybe at work, maybe not at work, but it's completely missing the point, which is that our minds are increasingly taken up by bullshit and by media that wants us rather than wants to give to us. And at work, in order to expand our creativity, to focus our minds, there are a number of hacks that we can introduce in addition to beer and ping pong, like meditation, like reading Simon Sinek, Seth Godin, but that all aside, it's really about the space that we occupy. So if we're in a cluttered space, our mind is often cluttered. That aside, having a space that is diverse as the people are, that is comfortable, that is easily movable, that can be constructed and reconstructed and deconstructed in the same amounts of time, where you're surrounded by other people that are enjoying that type of space is a pretty cool thing. If the workspace can be a definite workspace, but a good workspace, then you're in business. So this podcast is brought to you by Notel. Thanks for listening. So far, we've been talking about a personal journey for you, you know, like the hero's journey. You set out from your little encampment where you were protected and grew up and went off into these big institutions of power. And you're at McKinsey with all these fancy educated people. You're at Amex with all these fancy educated people. You decide, all right, I'm going to go back to some other fancy institution. You're at Warden. You make contact with the problem on a personal level that incites so much passion for you about student debt. And uh, you decide this is your, your, this is the journey that you want to now take, become an entrepreneur. You've always wanted to, you found your cause, you're there. Tell me about, um, how this tiny little website that a few people were looking at has now gotten you to billions of, of, of student loan portfolio. And that, and it must be many thousands and thousands of students, right? I guess a billion divided by a thousand million. So it must be like hundreds of thousands, isn't it? Yeah. So we, we have over a hundred thousand customers. Um, we've done to your point, billions in, in loans funded in, in that time. That's on the consumer side of the business. We also have an enterprise side of the business where we're now offering enterprise student loan benefits to employers to offer their employees as a way to attract and retain top talent. Uh, an example of this would be, you know, we've built technology that enables an employer to contribute, say, $100 a month to their employee's student debt. And that helps their employees pay their student debt down faster, um, on average, over eight years instead of 10 years, and it helps them save money along the way. So that, that's a little bit of, of what of what we do. So everything, and, and you know this as well as anybody, right? It's, it's one step in front of the other. So, um, you know, I alluded to it earlier, but when we raised our first round of outside capital, it was all about launching a pilot. And it was all about the pilot. And in our case, that meant a $2.5 million loan program at Warden, our alma mater, for current students as well as those who've already graduated to provide 
in-school loans as well as refinancing loans. And everything that we were focused on had to do with that. We weren't thinking any bigger or any smaller than just that. And so we were thinking about, okay, operationally, we need to make sure that we have uh, origination technology in place. We need to make sure we have a servicer in place. We need to make sure that we've captured enough demand um, from the start. We need to make sure that we're communicating with our customers uh, from a, an awareness perspective and also from a care perspective once they start interacting with us in a way that was conducive with best-in-class customer experience. Um, mm-hmm. We had to make sure that we dispersed every last penny and we need to make sure that we're going to do it in a short period of time. You know, if you think about doing those things, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff you have to do. There's a lot of things that, that you need to put in place. And so we were just very focused on that pilot. And that allowed us to, to solve for three things in that pilot. One, um, prove that we could raise money from investors. Our goal was one to two million and we raised two and a half. Um, two, um, to generate user demand. We had um, 2.5 million in user demand within 24 hours of launching the application. And three, to prove our own operational wow. acumen to disperse every last penny as mentioned before, which we ended up doing within a month or so. And so at that point, um, we had finished the pilot. It was successful across the three metrics that we wanted to. And then we used that to um, scale up our next goal, which was, okay, it worked. Now we need to raise enough capital uh, and put all the operational pieces in place to launch nationally. And by the way, when we launched nationally, it wasn't about um, launching in every school immediately. We launched in 20 schools. Um, And so this was, and I won't necessarily go into this much detail for what happened over the proceeding five or six years, uh, but this is effectively the method and the approach that we took to building the company at each step along the way, that we're very focused on a well-scoped problem. We have a lot of things that we need to do and to get right. Um, sometimes you stumble or fumble your way through, but with the right amount of grit and passion, you're able to make it happen. And you're, con- you're constantly scaling up the scope um, of the problem and the, the impact of, of the solution. What do you think about this uh, analogy? Is it a stepwise journey or is it an expanding circle that you've just described? Did you start at a tiny microcosm, little market, little group of people, little university, a few dollars, and then keep drawing bigger circles around it? Or was each step a proof point that unlocked a different type of problem? It might have been a bigger one, but it wasn't necessarily just a bigger circle. So, uh, what, do you, what do you think of that? I think it, contrast? Well, if I'm understanding if I'm understanding correctly, I think it actually might be both. So, I, when you when you say that, both resonate with me. The, the notion of drawing bigger and bigger circles, right? Um, filling bigger space. Certainly, that that has been our experience. Um, so too has this notion of that's what you call piercing layers of scale. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, I don't want to get too caught up in the semantics, but um, there's, there's Yeah, like no you need a new kind of capability you never had before, right? Like when you just had like the 20 students that needed the 2 million bucks, like you could probably just answer all those emails yourself. But at a certain point you need like, I don't know, a call, a call center and 24-hour mm-hmm. you know, issue resolution. And, and that kind of capability, of course, 
that correlates the scale, but it's a whole new capability in your in your journey up mm-hmm. the up the mountain. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that roughly what yeah. you're getting at? Yeah. So yeah. in order to make the circle bigger, yeah, you need more capabilities that are related. Mm-hmm. But a, a different way that you could imagine that stepwise journey is like maybe on in your first go, you were going direct to the student, and maybe you were doing you know fancy business schools because Wharton's a fancy business school. Over mm-hmm. time, did you find that the way you sell? let's say through enterprises actually is a really material change, but you only got the right to do that after proving out on a little laboratory or, you know, the types of universities, instead of being like the residential, like full-time multi-year kind of thing, switched to a different kind of uh, higher education. Yeah. Like, were there so, so product to, shifts? Yeah. Yeah. To your point, you know, we got our start at Word and then we got our start at 20 MBA programs, top MBA programs. Um, our goal from the start though, as I mentioned before, was to lower the cost of higher education in the U S um, and so that meant that we were on a path to effectively breaking, um, you know, getting ourselves, I'll say it a different way, making sure that we created a company that no matter where you went to school, no matter what your major, you were eligible to apply for one of our loans. Um, and the way we were going to do that is we were going to start small. We were going to prove to the investors in the early days who gave us money that we could operate well, we could underwrite well. And, and all of that earned us the right to expand to more and more colleges and universities. So we went from 20 to 50 to 200 to virtually every college and university across the country over 2000. Um, so that's on the, that's on the, the school uh, footprint side of things. In terms mm-hmm. of going from consumer only to then enterprise, that had a lot to do with us being in market kind of three plus years in on the, on the consumer side of things having stood up a partnerships team that went to companies to talk about how uh, in partnership with us, they could help their employees refinance their student debt at lower rates and save money. And our enterprise clients and partners at the time were telling us, hey, this is great, um, but do you have something that you know, could help all of my employees with student debt just because not everybody uh, qualifies for refinancing? And we said, you know, that's interesting because we as a company at the end of 2015 were one of the first in the country to offer a student loan benefit to our employees that said, if you are an employee of Common Bond, we will pay $100 a month to your student loan to help you pay it down faster. There's no reason why we couldn't build technology to enable the same thing for you, company A, or you, company B. And so that's what we ended up doing. We built that technology. We started selling it into companies. Um, We have about 300 plus corporate clients today with access to about 1.8 million employees. And earlier this week, we actually um, made a pretty big announcement in partnership with Empower Retirement, the number two 401k administrator in the country next to Fidelity, um, where they are now going to offer student loan benefit to their 39,000 companies, uh, 9 million lives total uh, in, in partnership with, uh, with Common Bonds Enterprise Solutions. Wow. It's a transformation. I mean, it, um, American health insurance, for example, is primarily delivered by employers. And uh, mm-hmm. if it could be that the solution to student student debt is something that's catalyzed by this universe of employers at the same scale, then it's just a whole sector of the economy that you've just you've just tipped the dominoes on with, I guess, mm-hmm. the business you started and, and this and this deal. I mean, am I being too grandiose? No, I mean that that is that is in large part what what we believe. Now, to your to your line of questioning, I frankly never could have imagined, uh, you know, six or seven years ago when we were launching the pilot, that this would end up being an enterprise solution that would slot right into 
um, a very, very large national problem uh, for which employers are fast becoming, at least in part, a, a part of a piece of the solution. Um, you know, I guess you do this stuff long enough, you keep a certain method and approach, uh, you take advantage of, of opportunity when and where it arises, um, and you're operating in ways that you weren't necessarily expecting, you know, five plus years prior. That's amazing. But I, I want to press you. I want to press you because yeah, the yeah. way we were the way we were doing your um, personal story, this this is a, a a perfectly packaged narrative of a grand vision founded in personal experience and a uh, a neat journey to get to this thing, where the vision never changed and step by step you got closer and you got broader. Um, setting mm -hmm. out to you know make make I guess higher education more affordable. It's it's actually a, a broad way to put it and. I suppose mm -hmm. your interpretation of it is to change the financing cost of it, not necessarily to make the, mm -hmm. the fees go down. Um, mm -hmm. Starting with elites and now reaching far more broadly, and, and the, the vast majority of people who, who have higher education in America are not going to these fancy schools. They're going to lots of other kinds of schools that are providing practical mm -hmm. education to them. So how true do you feel it is that the the way you started thinking about the direction of the, biz the business um, in the first days has been a kind of continuous line of the vision or did you find yourself tinkering with it tweaking it expanding it sort of bending it and um it's still largely right but there were these critical moments of decision as you sort of took a left turn and then got back on the highway and then and 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 modified you know, how you wanted to attack that yeah i i have to say you know it started to your point it started from a very personal place and a very specific place i had to pay my way through school with student loans and I thought the rates were higher than they needed to be. And I thought the process was more opaque than it should have been. And the customer service I was getting at incumbents was really poor. And so I thought, okay, this just needs to change. And I just so happened to have a background in finance um, and these entrepreneurial ambitions that I was talking about earlier that led to me committing to this thing and, and helping make this better uh, for a lot of people, because as I was going through the experience, I realized, hey, I'm not the only experiencing this. There's others, too. What if we built a platform that could help improve all of this? Um, and that's really where and how it started. Um, we've been on a, a pretty direct line to solve that at increasing levels of scale since then. Um, now, you know, our mission, understanding the core of our mission is really important, right, to lower the cost of higher education in the U.S., so that when there are certain opportunities that come our way, um, or when we explore ways to expand, we want to be connected to that mission. We want we want to make sure that whatever we do is consistent with that with that mission. But it's been it's been pretty consistent from the start. Um, and as Amazing. as that you know you know if, if that line is the is the is the throughput here. Um, if in the early days we were primarily a refinance company, uh, we then went further down kind of the customer life cycle and became an in-school financing company as well. And as I told you the story about the enterprise side, um, that came out of something we were doing as a refi business and it became an enterprise business all on its own for folks who had graduated, found gainful employment inside of companies. So. You know, things that were different, things that we couldn't have necessarily foreseen five years prior, but but very consistent with that that mission-based throughput.
in, in some ways uh, rare and in, in, in other ways uh, the, the familiar uh, accomplishment, right? I mean, so many people pivot all around and they, their orienting point is out there. And so both your sort of big arc and, and some of the, the, the stitching along the way. And, and there were probably moments where you, you may not have realized just how big and expansive it would get. But as you're adding on some of these, these components, you're certainly moving closer to that, that, that big mm -hmm. vision. Yeah, it's quite mm -hmm. inspiring to to listen to it that way, um, and and an interesting way to to think about um, the journey from you know just that first homepage to now more than a hundred thousand students who you've helped uh, reduce their their cost of, of higher education. It's been quite the journey. Thank you so much for being uh, on on in the know with me, David. Um, it's been so interesting to listen to your um, experience building Common Bond, and it sounds like you're not even one percent of the way there. I mean, if you have a couple billion, I think there's at least a trillion to go. So. Uh, my best wishes as you conquer the rest of it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, David.